and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is volume four, issue 173, where we'll be talking about cameo, elements of power. You can play along with Kane and Rinse volume four. Our next few issues are Max Payne 3, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, Wolfenstein The New Order, newly released, God Hand, and Too Human. You can head to CanaanRinse.com for the full schedule, the blog, and links to our merchandise stall where you can find merchandise such as the world-famous Canaan Rinse blimp, the Canaan Rinse do-it-yourself home explosives kit, and the Darren Gargett body pillow. Mm. You can find our Facebook, Google+, and YouTube pages where we regularly post pretty cool content as well. So check those out and uh, yeah, give them a good old follow. Uh, we have another podcast, The Sound of Play, where we talk about the music of video games. So if you like playing video games not on mute, then we might have something that will appeal to you. We have an excellent selection of curated video game music classics uh, every other Wednesday, so fortnightly on Wednesdays. Those will come out on a separate feed. So check that out on iTunes or on our website. Uh, you can please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That does help our exposure quite a bit, so we always appreciate reading new reviews and uh, and hearing from new people. Anyways, joining me today, I am Ryan Heyman. In this issue, we have Tony Atkins. Hello. Brian Terran. Hello. And Darren Gargett. Has anyone got a whatnot book? I'm lost. <laughs> today, we are talking about Cameo Elements of Power, a launch game on the Xbox 360. And uh, let, let's start with our histories with the game. Tony, how far back do you go with this one? Uh, day of launch. Hmm. So, yes, look, any new console's launch, you need you need the latest stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was there day one. Very good. And you, you played it right off the bat. Did you get any other games along with it, with the Xbox 360's launch? Or was this the one that you picked up and uh, were really looking forward to? Now you're going to test me with what I picked up. Probably <laughs> would have been the normal stuff (laughs) and exactly how much did you pay for it all (laughs) far far too much (laughs) did you trade stuff in for it of course not no i don't know what time was it what time was it you know like any launch you know if you have your Mm. core set of big games one being from microsoft uh you know i I like my platform games i especially liked Mm. rare at the time so yeah i uh it would seem a a no-brainer to pick it up um you know whether my histories is was i excited before it being announced for launch i'm sure we'll get into that but um yeah Mm. it's just a a typical new game new launch title um we've all done it we've all picked up some stuff but maybe we shouldn't have done and paid full price uh, <laughs> at the time of purchase not necessarily saying that is my reflection of the game but uh yeah probably paid far too much but uh yeah day one for me sure how about you brian uh, i paid four pound for it and completed mm. it two weeks ago no uh, over the past two weeks sorry i completed <laughs> it thursday uh there so yeah <laughs> was this your first time completing it yeah yeah and no, i i so the for me, uh, I did like Rare. I was a big fan of Rare in their N64 days. Um, but I think coming into the 360, I was more interested in Perfect Dark Zero. I, and I'd always looked at Cameo over the years and thought, yeah, maybe I'll give it a go. But by the uh, by the time the end of the generation rolled around, I still hadn't played it. And it was only when uh, the podcast came up that I thought, now might be the chance to give it a go. I bought my Xbox 360 on launch night. I went to a uh, launch event at a local Best Buy. And actually, since I live in the Seattle area, uh, Bill Gates was there, which is kind of cool. Um, I I still have and frequently wear a very warm scarf that I got this evening with uh, Xbox 360 launch November 22nd. Oh, man, Mm -hmm. feels like forever ago. Anyways, I... 
uh, got up to the register finally, um, picked up the Xbox 360, got to choose a game to uh, to buy with it because I didn't want to just take it home and be playing around with Hexic HD for <laughs> months. Um, so I, I, as a huge Rare fanboy, I made the decision to pick up Perfect Dark Zero, which I loved very much at the time, but, um, you know, it wasn't until a little bit later, probably a couple months later, that I ended up picking up Cameo. And, you know, whether or not that was the right decision to start with Perfect Dark and then move on to Cameo, we'll, we'll talk about later. But, um, yeah, I, I got it pretty early on. I finished it uh, pretty quickly after that and went back to replay it this uh, couple weeks ago now, just in preparation for the podcast. And I believe it was my first time back to it since the xbox launch i'm sure i've played it intermittently just a level here and there but i hadn't uh i hadn't gone through the entire thing until uh fairly recently for the second time i was the same looking back through my achievements i must have played it over a two-week period completed everything (laughs) i could have done i did 100 percent on the game uh, and i went back this week um just to refresh memories well, it's not a massively difficult game and so it's something that you know you can get through in a short amount of time if need be and uh, you, Darren, uh, have a, a very different history with this game than the rest mm. of us do. So why don't you kind of walk us through that? Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, people may know or may not know that I was once uh, an employee of Rare, around uh, about the transition time from Nintendo to Microsoft, and uh, Grab by the Ghoulies was in full flow. Uh, we've done a show on that, and I spoke about my experience with that game and you know testing it and all that. But Cameo was definitely, you know, what had been a GameCube game beforehand. It was very much in Rare's mind as an Xbox game. And I, I did test it for a, a few months, I guess, before I did, you know, leave the company. But I saw that game in Xbox uh, One, you know, the original Xbox form. You can't call it that Xbox anymore. One? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's what? confusing. Oh, great. But yeah, I, I, did, I did play a lot of that game. Uh, in its uh, very varied uh, broken states, obviously, because it wasn't finished, so it was an alpha. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting to play that game again after so many years. I did pick it up around launch. It wasn't the launch game for me, and later picked up Cameo, probably from the shop I was working in at the time, or just you know just took it off the shelves just to see what it was like after all these years of not hearing anything about it. Because you know I, I was kind of attached to the game during its testing phases. You know, you do get. You know, you do get involved in the bug log and you're like, okay, they're going to fix my bugs. And like, some, sometimes <laughs> the developers may come down and call you various names for logging stupid bugs at such an early stage. But yeah, you get an emotional attachment even at an early stage like that. Seeing the game you know, and seeing some design choices that I had requested, um, they had made it through the bug log. Only one or two. Um, you, I don't know if anyone remembers, but at the start of the game when you're, when you're climbing that sort of castle type area, there's like a there's like a there's like a courtyard and you have to knock these metal balls into the lava, um, and before it was um, once you knocked all these metal troll balls into the lava, uh, a random wall behind you would explode. And one of my design you know game design requests was to like get rid of that wall because it's exploding for no reason. There was no there was no graphics of like a mortar strike because at the time there was no that all the background stuff that that must have come in like through the 360s power like there was no peripheral just stuff in the background like dragons flying and fireballs everywhere it was all just pretty much just plain you know yeah because the game was in alpha there was no finishing touches so the wall just exploded for no reason i was like well we've got these gates with the pummelweed slash uh chin- chinchilla i've forgotten his name chiller i think at one point he was called chinchilla <laughs> or, or chill chiller or something 
Um, yeah, and you know, so you pummel you you pummel weed underneath the gates after throwing an ice spear. And I noticed those gates in smaller form, and I said, why don't you just put a massive one of those instead of an exploding wall? It's in theme with the game's design, and it just makes more sense. And that that, that got um, greenlit as uh, as I saw in the final version. And um, I was told by uh, you know a former uh, a colleague. A friend um, Scott that they they dubbed that the Golden Gargate. Like <laughs> that, that still gives me the goosebumps thinking about it. When I saw it and I saw it again the other week, I was like, "Oh, there's the Golden Gargate." Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that that's quite nice. You know, it's not it's not canon, it's not a thing, but it is a thing. You know what I mean? And that's uh, that makes me smile. I had an influence in Cameo's design in a fart's worth. You know what I mean? There's nothing to that. <laughs> sure, that was my favourite part. I mean, I'm playing at that <laughs> oh, gate. Thanks. That was just <laughs> where's, emotional. where's my royalties? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh playing it again recently ah oh, it is like memory city for me it is unbelievable mm-hmm. um i've forgotten how much of the levels have stayed the same since the original xbox's uh alpha like the levels are the same design like they hadn't changed them and you can clearly see in my in my head i can clearly see what's new and what's not well that's going to be an interesting insight i reckon because mm. you know, having seen the videos of the xbox version versus yeah. the, the 360 version it's uh yeah i've got plenty to say about it and you know your insight will be fantastic yeah it should be interesting so yeah like i say uh yeah quite a unique perspective and i played it again recently all the way through and we'll be talking about the different versions of cameo as it's gone through its developmental history it didn't always start as a xbox 360 title it was originally developed with the gamecube in mind back mm. when uh, rare was still owned by nintendo and we'll get into uh, the nitty-gritty details of that later. Looking back at some of the videos of the GameCube game, Cameo Elements of Power, it looked to be an almost entirely different game. And I think a lot of the uh, shift from the game that it was into the game that it became took place on the Xbox platform. Because I remember seeing some early promotional videos that were branded with the Xbox logo that still had some of the early design, design decisions and some of the early form of gameplay. And then some towards uh, nearing the end of its developmental cycle that looked very much like the game that we finally uh, got for the Xbox 360 launch. And so it it seemed to have shifted rapidly during that time. And so from, uh, from your account, it sounds like you were playing a uh, fairly late in the game version of uh, Cameo Elements of Power. So uh, this game was developed by Rare. This was, at the time, Rare was not a hugely prolific company, as much as they were when they worked with Nintendo, famously so. They came out with many high-quality titles that went on to define the uh, early Nintendo platforms, and so Microsoft eagerly bought them out when mm-hmm. they were starting to fill the stable of Xbox developers wow. once they wanted to get into the video game scene. And at a famously Rare, perhaps, under-delivered for them uh, based on what they were expecting them to do. This was maybe the third high-profile Rare game after Grab by the Ghoulies on the Xbox, which may not have been considered a phenomenal success by many. Conquer Live and Reloaded on the Xbox, which was a remake of Conquer's Bad Fur Day on the N64. This launched simultaneously with Perfect Dark Zero for the launch of the Xbox 360 to help promote the new platform. So whether or not that was worth Microsoft's acquisition of them, uh, now Rare has been allocated more to... Well, it, they took on some of the Kinect stuff when that was still in vogue. 
But more importantly, they, they did Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. We mustn't forget that time. And Viva Pinata. Yep. Yep. One and two, yeah. A conversation, a piece we've had quite a few times. It's hard to know if, if Rare under-delivered or whether the gaming in- industry changed away mm. from what Rare was delivering, you know, from what they were mm. delivering in the path of Nintendo platforms. And, you know, Microsoft and Sony kind of took the industry in a slightly different direction, whether sure. good, a good thing or a bad thing. And Rare were left developing games, which they'd kind of always developed. Maybe they, they just weren't for uh, an audience which was had different in tastes on the Xbox platform. Uh, that's not entirely true, of course, because I think uh, you know Perfect Dark Zero and the, and a few others have been you know not particularly well received for good reason. But uh, you know, I feel like something like Cameo, um, Viva Piñata, uh, even um, uh, Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts have mm-hmm. maybe been unfairly judged for not being the right kind of game for the platform which microsoft has and that's a difficult one to to put into you know whether that's true or not you know for me they're some of the finest examples that have been on the xbox platform but for others i think they've underperformed certainly from a commercial standpoint of view yeah i mean i think microsoft have um they bought rare for the, the kind of the family-friendly nature that Rare, you know, that they used to have in, in their spirit. It was kind of like you flick a Rare game on and then even if it was James Bond, you knew you were going to get something that wasn't totally bonkers, you know, for, you know, unsuitable for family-friendly TV. So I know Microsoft have always, I think even now they're trying to like appeal to everyone at the same time, like, you know, family-friendly, but also we've got Call of Duty <laughs> and Halo. And it's, it just feels like a, a complete, um, like a, maybe like too many focuses in too many different directions. Um, so, every and I think like every time Microsoft try and manage a family friendly game, they they kind of try and put their sort of mature spin on it as well, and it, it never seems to kind of like um you know merge with the game's initial spirit. Even though Cameo was probably this way inclined in on the GameCube days, I think there's a there is a complete shift in um, world design when it's on the Xbox. Like I've, I've watched a few GameCube videos before, and it kind of felt mm. like more of an open world game. Whereas now, like yeah. you know, this game does have an open world, and on the Xbox original, it wasn't the Badlands as we see it now on the 360. It was a series of clouds, which, when you teleport from area to area, you'll see a quick video of clouds mm. washing past you. Mm-hmm. That that used to be a playable area, and you know, oh, that's where it came from. Yeah, and interesting. Ca- and cameo. I can't remember if she flew around on an animal or she was flying around herself, but mm. it was a series of flying islands. You know, in a very basic version of what kind of reminded me of Skyward Sword. You know, you would see things in the in mm. the corners of these mm-hmm. of this clouded open world, and you know, you'd, you'd fly there as opposed to the Badlands, which you know, in my opinion, I think the Badlands is a, is a million times better than what they had before. But that's something you know, I can never really, I can't really find that footage anywhere online. That was very much of a this will do for now kind of area, and maybe they were mm. planning the cloud thing to be you know a full fledged thing at one point, but. I'm kind of glad they um they went the to power the of the cloud, dude. The power of the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's go into the origins now that we kind of brought that up. It uh, began as a GameCube title, as we've mentioned, went on to being an Xbox title, and then finally an Xbox 360 launch game. It was planned for a GameCube release in 2002, which is three years before it was originally released. It came out on the Xbox 360. In 2005, in North America and Europe, and 2006 in Japan, because it was sort of the face of the Xbox 360 for a little while. I think it was the first game that they showed during the E3 in which they announced the Xbox 360. Mm. 
And a lot of that, and we'll come back to this later, is the uh, spectacle of the Badlands, this new area that was developed just for the Xbox 360 version that took advantage of the Xbox 360's power and showed it off in really impressive ways, um, which we'll circle around back to. Uh, lots to talk about there. But yeah, as we said, it was planned for GameCube release in 2002. And I remember kind of a funny little trivia point. Uh, I bought a uh, GameCube at lunch. Mm way back when and i remember seeing a screenshot for cameo elements of power on the back of the gamecube box which (laughs) uh it's kind of a tragic reminder of you know (laughs) this is this is what it could have been once um yeah that was it it feels strange to have a game on the box of the system that never ended up coming to fruition but you know that's the nature of uh advertising for things that don't exist yet uh microsoft bought rare and so uh, Rare shifted Cameo's development to an Xbox release, uh, giving a planned release date of 2003. It was put on indefinite hold in 2004 and then announced for the Xbox 360 <laughs> early 2005 and then finally released in late 2005. It's quite interesting because 2003 there, like a, really, a planned release date of 2003 was when I was mm. testing it. And oh. that game was <laughs> that game had holes everywhere, so like <laughs> literal holes. Like I'm I'm watching the Forest Temple now playing, like seeing how lush it looks on the 360. But I remember mm. the original Xbox's version, just like yeah, just being a complete nightmare to navigate. And yeah, so a planned 2003 release, like internally, no, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> so yeah, you can see why they put it on indefinite hold in 2004. And then, like, kind of revamped it for the, you know in two thousand and five because that game was nowhere near ready. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes what is um, the developer's estimation of like, oh yeah, we can have it done at this time versus mm. what is the publisher trying to put pressure on them to churn out a product, uh, give them something for the holiday season of that year, or you know whatever the case may be. Uh, I- I'm sure that they would have appreciated a few more higher profile Xbox titles as. It was a little sparse throughout its lifespan compared to the Xbox 360, which had pretty regular, uh, high-profile releases. But yeah, um, the, you, you, the, the Xbox had, well, comparatively, the very short mm-hmm. life cycle. It, it did very mm-hmm. well, really, for its its you know about four years, three years, four years. It was pretty short before the 360 came out, and you know it's not mm-hmm. the first game we've seen which is meant to be on a platform and then shifted over. Not quite because Zelda came out on eventually both platforms but um is it which one is twilight princess was a Mm -hmm. uh, a gamecube game and eventually came out on the wii but it felt very much more like they were pushing the wii version um Mm. but the the game (laughs) i suppose the power of the 360 they they achieved a lot more so couldn't have the two games sitting side by side but it doesn't surprise me that they just said okay let's we're moving on to you know this this new generation of hardware we have a game by the sounds of it, half done from Darren's point of view. <laughs> let's, you know, let's, we need content. Um, you know, there was a reasonable launch for the Xbox 360 as well. So, yeah, that's, that doesn't surprise I me. Mean, even sales wise, how many 360s were there within the first launch period? If, so, we're saying a million Right, sold. it was very difficult to get yeah. your hands on one at the very beginning. That first Christmas season, you just couldn't find one anywhere. Yeah, or they were blowing up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's true as well. <laughs> We can go all the way back to the GameCube version, which um, while not a lot is known about it, it did have a little bit of of visibility at various trade shows and whatnot. Uh, It it had been shown off a few times. We've gotten a few videos and promotion and a few screenshots here and there. And so we can begin to piece together 
a bit of a narrative of what this game would have looked like. Unseen 64 has some really nice uh, catalog screenshots and information about the earlier titles. And so if you're interested in looking at those or the canceled cameo sequel, you can check on that at Unseen 64. Hmm. Otherwise, uh, the gameplay seemed to be pretty similar to what it is now at its core uh, on the GameCube version. Hmm except there were some core differences. Cameo could transform into elemental warriors, but she would also summon elemental warriors to fight by her side, kind of like Pokemon. And I think that's where it drew a lot of its inspiration from Pokemon and also a uh, earlier uh, PC game called Shadowcaster in which the character could transform into various monsters and tackle different enemies and puzzles um, to progress using their specific abilities. The warriors in the early GameCube build of Cameo Elements of Power appeared to be able to evolve. Uh, You got to start out with your characters as what eventually made it into the 360 version as the uh, like baby versions of each of the warriors, which you only see as you're rescuing them from the shadow trolls. And then once, I don't know what kind of uh, requirements it would take to level them up enough to make them evolve into the full-fledged warriors that you would... uh, associate with cameo gameplay now but there were a few videos of cameo walking around as the baby versions of these creatures and so it it seems to be in a bit more of a pokemon route um the transformations appear to be just regular enemies um as we see some of the same characters that cameo is transforming into in those early videos roaming the world and guarding sections and fighting against cameo as well sometimes multiple at once uh, there's a point at which we see multiple snares a monster that did end up making it into the final version of the game actually looking very similar to how he did in that version uh, guarding a doorway or something and uh, cameo stores the elemental warriors in a pouch around her waist and catches them in what looks like a simon toy mm. some like magical stone contraption uh but it's very pokemon like is the impression that i was getting yeah and when you capture like a baby version you run around Mm -hmm. this open world kind of area picking up like lava or like little bugs to feed the creature into into an evolved form this is the gamecube version i'm talking about so Mm -hmm. you know there are elements (laughs) elements of power removed (laughs) from the game uh you know from the gamecube to the xbox version so you know it kind of looks like they have taken away features yeah Uh, so it sounds very scaled back compared to Mm what the GameCube version was imagining. Or just transformed into a different thing. Yeah. Um, added stuff, took some other stuff away. There are early versions of what probably became Chilla and Rubble in this early version. Uh, they look quite different, though. Uh, transformations appeared to affect not only your combat abilities, but also traversal of the environment, which you get a little bit in the new version of the game. But there were some transformations in this early, more open-world version that allowed Cameo to climb up walls like a gecko Mm. or fly around, uh, which you don't get free flight in the final version of the game. And based on the more uh, linear dungeon design kind of Zelda game that it became, uh, probably would have broken things and, uh, you know, made for a much different design but that was originally intended to be able to fly around these big open worlds that were just crawling with monsters she's only got a hover ability now isn't she Mm. right yeah it's used to move a little bit faster but it doesn't really offer any uh doesn't open any transportational doors so to speak she's actually very very underpowered comparatively to any other transformation Mm. 
yeah, I think that's that's an obvious design choice to make. You know, cameo really comes into full effect when she's transforming into the uh, the beast. I, I kind of like the fact that she's not a superhero by herself because you know she can do a backflip and she can sort of hover over. You know, I don't think she can hover over water really. So it's it feels very neutered in power when compared to uh, you know her, um, her her elements of power. So like you know, it kind of makes you want to go to the the shadow trolls, which weren't mm. in the original Xbox version when I was testing it. Those Shadow Trolls weren't there. I mean, the creatures were literally just... You, you go into the, the area, the cave, of where the Shadow Troll would be in the 360 version, but here it would just be like, oh, there's a there's an ash on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like... <laughs> it, you know, it, it kind of probably, ha- probably felt more in line with the GameCube version in the fact that you went out in the world and captured these, and mm. in the Xbox original version, you literally just found it on the floor. It's a bit of a weird design choice because I found myself never really wanting to play as Cameo unless I couldn't. Mm. <laughs> I didn't have yeah. the choice. There was always an elemental form because they were more powerful or they had a defensive ability where Cameo used to be, oh no, <laughs> she's going to get hit and damaged and so maybe I just need to you know, be you know, a different character. Darren, did you ever see the GameCube version running and did you, did you have any insight onto why it, why it changed I've only seen it running from like trailers and E3, you know, footage and stuff. And you can, there are footage, footage online, but I never actually had hands-on contact with the GameCube one because the GameCube was, you know, just out of out of reach in terms of development for me. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, this is all conjecture, but I think Microsoft must have gone in there and just said, you know, we want to put our own stamp on this game. Yeah, cameo, and you can kind of date the version of the game that you're seeing by the costume that she's wearing in the gamecube version she's dressed in a white and purple costume Mm -hmm. and when she transforms into monsters they have translucent bodies that allow you to see cameo Mm. uh inside the monster i don't know why uh that was a it always felt like kind of a weird design choice. I mean, we we understand that she's transforming into a monster. We don't need like a visual reminder <laughs> that, oh yeah, we're still playing as Cameo. Don't worry, everything's cool. But maybe when you're fighting alongside other monsters that are very similar to your own, it can be a little disorienting perhaps. Um, and also on the GameCube version, and I believe it carried over into early iterations of the Xbox version, uh, she had a purple dragon companion that would fly along with her named Meepo. Uh, it, it's very expressive little purple dragon. Um, I don't know much about it because I never saw it actually in action or interacting with Cameo in any meaningful ways, but it was, uh, kind of the game's mascot for a little while. Um, probably this game's version of Navi from the Legend of Zelda games. Hmm. Darren, yeah. do you have any insight into Meepo? Oh, I remember Meepo. I remember you were, you were, you free it from a statue. I don't really remember what else it does. That's right, and there might even be a Meepo statue left in the game in the final version. I'm yeah. not remembering. I saw a screenshot, maybe it was an earlier build of a Meepo statue, but I don't know if it made it into the 360 version. So, yeah, uh, in, the, in the original Xbox version, you definitely broke Meepo free from the statue. And, you know, there was a little cutscene, kind of like how Grab by the Ghoulies cutscenes were in terms of it was more framey, more than, a, more than an animation. It's kind of like frame mm, by frame right, by right. frame. Yeah, but you definitely unlock Meepo, but I don't remember it doing anything other than it was just like you unlock it in the uh, you know in, in the kind of mini hub area. But yeah, God, that, yeah, that's stretching my memory a fair bit because yeah, that thing did nothing for me. Uh, the Xbox version, which came which came next, there were you know multiple iterations of the game on the Xbox. Um, 
you know, that, that changed quite drastically, as we previously mentioned. Early Xbox versions seemed to be fairly similar to the GameCube version, uh, appeared to show characters that would become Flex and Pummelweed, very similar to how they appeared in the final version, uh, including Pummelweed. Sounds uh, like it has the same voice actor and everything, so that, that carried through for quite a while. Mm. Um, the Elemental Warriors went to solid bodies for this one, so you can no longer see Cameo inside, although that choice was reverted at kind of the last minute. I remember seeing uh, very late Xbox 360 screenshots before the game released in which the Elemental Warriors were solid bodies and it was kind of a, a you know 11th hour type thing that they decided to go back to the translucent bodies as seen in the GameCube iteration. But yeah, the uh, later Xbox version seems to be very similar to the final product. Um, yeah, throughout we saw a few different enemies and stuff, but it was... Uh, very similar to how it ended up. Perhaps more than most games, we've gotten to see this one at so many points in its development. Uh, kind of an interesting retrospective on the different games that could have been. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the GameCube one had a, 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 an amusing trailer, very much in the rare spirit of these, mm. uh, these tigers sort of doing a rugby taunt. I kind of like that. And it was it's sad that they didn't carry that kind of sense of humor through to... Um, to the final 360 product like i kind of like rare's humor popping through and i think cameo sort of misses most of that i was unaware of much of this history of of cameo and i think it's it's kind of it is interesting to see and i think you're right uh Ryan, we don't normally get that kind of uh view of a game in development and i think it explains some of the i don't know maybe that some of the odd choices or things that you think feel a bit out of place in the in the final version Mm. when you get to know a bit more about how the game was and how it evolved you can kind of understand it a bit more so i think in that respect it's kind of a a nice um showcase of sort of video game design and iteration yeah i, I think what makes this more unusual than most i'm sure this happens a lot in the game industry games you move in from one platform to the other at least within the same company um but here it's it's not just a platform it's it's being sold to a different company changing you know right. the ethos almost of the product right um from you know nintendo to microsoft and not only that across three separate platforms um and trying to be maybe shoehorned into a style of every platform that it's been on. Um, and that certainly mm. bleeds throughout the design choices that we see throughout the game. You know, some don't entirely make sense. <sighs> a number of, um, I think it's grabbed by the ghoulies felt like a little bit bolted on certain aspects of it, bolted on. And mm. you know, we talked quite heavily about, about that because it was a, a product almost of a similar fate. Um, so yeah, I think what makes it more unique this time is that it's just across different companies, different platforms, and like you say, it's it's unusual to see the the evolution of a game across that many different um, aspects of development, uh, rather than just a, well, it it clearly had a, a you know a graphical upgrade from from one system to the next, and right, you know, it's it's nice and nice actually to find it you know this rare are very good of sharing this stuff online. Um, you know, every rare show we've done that there's there's quite a deep database of you know either leaked early builds or you know fan, maybe it's just because the fans are, are so um, passionate about <laughs> yeah. about their product uh, products you know mm. more so than say you know a random ea product but 
just to just to see the amount of you know resources out there. I mean, I'm, I, while we've been talking, I've been looking at Meepo, but you know, there's so many early designs of different characters and and the genesis of what they you know were to how they ended mm. up. It's it's fascinating. But you yeah. you are right. Meepo seems like the kind of character that would annoy you by <laughs> the end of your playthrough. <laughs> you mentioned that the fans being like a like a, a good reason as to why like most of this beta stuff comes to surface but i also think the employees of rare are fans of rare as well like that's the attitude i got when i was working there even in during this transition period which kind of <laughs> seemed like a dark time if i'm, if I'm being completely honest it kind of seemed like mm. it was something yeah. that people were resistant to but even the employees like you know 10 years after the game came out like they're they've gone independent but they're still fans of what they did and you know you can see that with Platonic Games making a spiritual sequel to Banjo Kazooie, like they they got Google eyes all over their office, and like they're they're absolutely <laughs> loving their heritage. And you you speak to most rare employees now, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I worked on Perfect Dark Core for a ten minutes. Here's a video, and you're like, what? We didn't yeah. even know about this, and they're just like leaking videos all over the place. And it just seems like like a nice. And a nice thing to do from both sides of the fence is like, you know, the fans want it. We we want to hoover up all this information, but the mm. developers of the, the games are also like, you know, avid it's, fanboys of, of it's their always own work, seems I guess. so guarded as well. I, I, I never really understand this industry. If, if you look at other industries, I, you know, maybe not so the music, but certainly the film industry where, you know, you know, deleted scenes and commentaries and there's so much passion that goes into, you know, the added extras. Um, you know, that's a lot of the reasons why people buy, you know, continue to buy DVDs and Blu-rays is to you know to you know feel like they you know they can find out more about that experience. The game industry seems so guarded about you know early builds, different designs, which platforms, etc. And you know maybe it's because sometimes there's less of a one one person vision. Um, but whenever it's released and that stuff's there, you know just look at the Half-Life commentaries, etc. And people go crazy and you know, portal commentaries and that stuff mm-hmm. should be more prolific throughout gaming. And it's nice that you know Rare seem to be fairly open to that. So bring on more, I'd say. Yeah, you know, throughout its development, uh, like I said, there was a big shift in the ethos of the game. It, it shifted from being more of a, I don't know what I would have even called it in the very beginning, but it became a very traditional fantasy fair, um, fair uh, fairies versus orcs in these giant battles. Uh, when in the beginning it, beca- it was, uh, you know, the monsters looked almost like creatures from Spore, you know, they had kind of a silly look to them. Uh, very unique. Anyways, uh, we're going to start talking about the specifics of the final version of Cameo Elements of Power after all this buildup. We're actually going to start talking about this game proper. Uh, so the gameplay revolves around the use of elemental warriors, which Cameo can transform into at will. And these are uh, various monsters that you're kind of granted throughout your travels. Some of them you rescue from shadow trolls and some of them you are given as gifts from your family as you rescue them do uh do you guys have any favorite elemental warriors can i start by saying no i don't and i th- and i think <laughs> <laughs> not, not not that each didn't individually have character but this this ties back to you know the, the history and the, and the kind of pokemon-esque origins of it and that i don't i never felt that you got a chance really to uh grow or bond with the characters in the way that I think if the original vision of the game maybe had held that you would have. I know you you can level up the characters to a degree but I, I went through the game leveling up virtually none of the uh, uh, none of the um, elemental warriors and it, it didn't make 
a difference to sort of the difficulty of the game. But I, I can see now, having talked through the history, had it been a kind of a collect them up and then you develop them, you feed them, you grow them, there would have been a much stronger bond, I think, between the between the player and the and the characters. But that's not to say the characters themselves were lacking. I just, you know, there, there's so many of them and you use them so briefly, given that the game is in itself quite a short game, that none of them ever really stood out as being mm. favourites. I completely agree with Brian, although I, from an aesthetic point of view, I think Pummelweed is a really fun and likeable character. Major Ruin as well, I had a soft spot for. Um, but yeah, <laughs> certainly from a, a visual point of view, I think Pummelweed is just, he stands out from from the crowd because he's a mm. Right, he's a giant weed, uh, dandelion, whatever it may be, uh, with a set of boxing gloves and the ability to to go, yeah, um, the ability to dig down into the ground and use the top of his weed to to slice and dice, as well as then come up and punch people with gloves. I, I like that, but I completely agree with Brian. You feel like more like they're they're a means to an end. You know, you you have to use a character to navigate a very predetermined section of uh, the world. Once you've done that, then there's no need for that character because inevitably you need to use another character. Um, so quickly you're swapping in and out of characters and, and you don't really... You know, there's there's a few that you, you prefer because maybe the ability in combat is better. But um, yeah, you, you don't... I didn't attend to find myself getting attached to anyone in particular. And it's not like there's a really story based around them to, to promote them as more, more deeper characters than they are. Mm, yeah, you, they don't really have kind of, um, you know, for such amazing beasts that they, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be these, these crazy beasts of uh, elemental power. They don't really have a backstory or kind of like a, like an origin story or something like that. You know, you kind of, you never really get the chance to make them feel like they're your own. Whereas with Pokemon, I know that's, that's not the game we're talking about, but Pokemon does have this thing as where you found it and then you nurtured it for hours and hours and hours and therefore it become your favorite. But, you know, the the game, like Brian said, isn't long enough for you to, you know, really get any attachment to him. Um, the, the only reason why I'm fond of the initial kind of four is because my, my testing routes were, you know, I played them, I was, you know, I was employed to play them. So I'm really fond of Pummelweed and I'm not too keen on his new aggressive look. He wasn't as aggressive on the Xbox version. Hmm. He was, um, he, he's more spiky and he's a bit more toothy than he was. He, he looked a bit friendlier back in the day. And uh, Chilla, I remember now, Chilla was called Chimp Chilla, and it was kind of one of my in- insults to my friends, you know, friendly insults. Like, oh, you're such a Chimp Chilla, and, and they've changed it to Chilla. <laughs> so I've, I've got a fondness for these kind of characters because, you know, like I saw them when they were on, you know, during my testing time. Um, but my favourite, I do think um, that the name Forty Below is is a brilliant name. I do like mm. that name. I, I don't know why it just stands out. But the guy with the little bowl on his back of lava that swishes around, Thermite <laughs> is called. Yeah. yeah, he's just, he's adorable. And, and uh, the way that, in the 360 version, does the lava roll around? Or is that my memory playing with me? Because on the Xbox version, yeah. the, the lava yeah, swished does. around like a brandy glass, you know. It looked very satisfying to, uh, to play. This wasn't a uh, any kind of help in development of the game. But actually, coming looking at the game in the future, it's very, very similar to Skylanders. Um, yeah, each yeah. character has its u- unique ability, um, and 
the same as there. There's there's no real backstory. You just you know, in I suppose in Skylanders' point of view, you have a figure to look at. Um, but it is you know something like uh, Fermite is is I could you know pick half a dozen characters that have a very similar action and a similar you know scope to what he does um, in in Skylanders. And actually, all of these characters you could look and you know they would transfer perfectly into into that franchise. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Elemental Warriors could be viewed as uh, the equivalent of the items that you would receive in a Zelda game. Although instead of just adding the ability to grapple onto faraway objects or ride tracks along the walls or whatever your Zelda item might do, uh, these give usually like three or four different abilities at once and they come with a completely different movement style and they come with completely different combat styles and so if you view them as just um you know enhancements for cameo as a character they are actually very full featured for you know what they are um to go through the elemental warriors here we have pummelweed who's a uh, like a big weed with boxing gloves as you previously previously described kind of a scrappy little fighter a very useful early game Rubble is a big old pile of rocks with a face on top that could explode his rocks into all directions. Ash is a pretty typical dragon, kind of looked like the dragon from Shrek to me. Mm-hmm. Um, could fire breathe and very typical, like um, more typical of the traditional fantasy fair than any of the others. Uh, Deep Blue is your underwater character, looked like kind of a slug-like and a job of the hut on little feet on land um could spray water in all directions major ruin was an armadillo like character who could roll into a ball charge and shoot out in any direction uh chilla was like a big gorilla Mm -hmm. with ice crystals emerging from his back Uh, he could throw ice crystals making him a good ranged fighter and could uh throw orcs onto his back and carry them around and then uh just throw them off the side of the cliff it's such a comical <laughs> little thing but there, there's a part of me that every time i see it happening mm-hmm. you're like that should be terrible <laughs> he just throws an orc <laughs> up in the sky lands on his like completely pointed back and they just yeah, stick yeah. there you're like oh god <laughs> add some blood to that and that's a really vicious move <laughs> uh you find flex who is a uh, kind of squid-like character who makes some very silly noises, has a stretchy body, and it's all wavy and eyeballs on stocks. And uh, used a he lot has, for getting uh, higher places, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. He has. Uh, he's kind of the hook shot of this game, <laughs> yeah. so he yeah. can grapple onto things from up above and uh, can also skate on top of the waters like a water strider bug, which is pretty cool. Uh, 40 Below underwent a pretty massive design change in his time. He's a uh, a snowman who rides or rolls on top of a giant snowball. Uh, He used to be a kind of a a fat, dopey-looking character, but became a a kind of a muscular, you know, inverted pyramid-type design. Mm. It was still with, like, an old man voice, though, so I kind of like how that evens it all out. Um, Snare is a kind of like a piranha plant in super mario bros you can chomp up enemies and then plant your roots in the ground and you know wave them all about and then fling them at things which could come in handy from time to time and then thermite which we've mentioned is a uh, like a little ant that has a, a giant vat of lava on his back and he can shoot uh, you know balls of lava that would explode and good for clearing out large groups of enemies mm-hmm. and actually a very powerful character um yeah, uh, very useful. My personal favorite was Flex because 
He was very easy to control, which is not always the case for these characters. And he's so much fun in combat. You know, the combat in the game felt a little uh, monotonous and repetitive uh, up until the point at which I got flex and he was able to you know, just slap up all the enemies in very satisfying ways and uh, just made it, made the game a lot more fun for me. In both, both playthroughs, I remember really liking flex. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about that combat. Um, you would switch between warriors depending on uh, some enemies required a certain elemental warriors to uh, either like disarm them, pluck a shield from their hands, or some were weak to certain elements, kind of like a, some of that Pokemon influence. If you found a grass-type enemy, then you would immediately switch to burn it with ash. Um, and the game controlled a little... Uh, little strangely by modern standards the elemental warriors were all mapped onto the uh, the x y and b buttons and so when you wanted to switch between them you would hit one of the face buttons and then back to cameo was a and then all of your attacks and traversal would be accomplished through the use of the triggers which is a little weird to be you know pounding those but it 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 feels kind of nice and it, it allows you to uh, you know, still take control over both control sticks while you're using your attacks, which, you know, usually you have to surrender control of the right control stick to hit the face buttons. And so it's a, kind of an interesting trade-off. What do you guys think of the triggers? I like them for pummel me. The left-right jabbing and the uppercut, mm. um, that, that, that felt right. I, I, I found the control scheme odd, and, and this is going to be me where I argue for less game, is that uh, the way they'd set it up, you could probably have halved the number of characters and ha- had the, the the fire characters have both move sets. The free combinations is is weird in itself because there's no easy way of actually adding more to that. So you, if you have three buttons, so you can quickly change between those three. But say there's a situation that arises and you don't have that character there, you have to go into what is essentially your journal and it's called the whatnot. Um, so you need to go through a loading screen and then another loading screen to pick a character that you want then to assign to one of the face buttons, uh, go do that, then re-enter the game again, completely breaking the ex- you know the experience that you're having. You can do a weapon wheel. Is there a weapon wheel in that? But it doesn't pull. Yeah. It doesn't pull. So if you're if someone's bearing down and you haven't you got the you haven't got the right character, you, the only way of getting it loaded up quickly is to do what you say. But there is yeah, a weapon yeah. wheel, but it's just it's not very. Yeah, practical the game doesn't in tell you though. Get game that never really explicitly tells you there's a weapon wheel. Not that I saw anyway. It was like either the, either it's hidden on a signpost, which aren't very obvious to find, or the game just didn't shove it in my face because my old testing roots were to go into the whatnot every time and change one of the yeah. three face buttons. Um, so I only found out before this recording there was a radio menu just by it, looking at Let's Plays. I was like, oh, what's, what's that? I've never seen that menu before. <laughs> so the game, again, like the game just kind of fails... It sort of glosses over the fundamentals that makes you know the the game more playable. I guess like if I'd have known there was a radial menu throughout my, my, my you know any playthrough, I'd have enjoyed it a slightly bit more. You know, maybe not when it coloured my impression of the whole game entirely, but just to have that ease of changing your elemental warriors would have made it a little bit easier. I, I found the combat with the left and right triggers to be especially frustrating. Because, you know, you had one attack that was mapped to the left trigger, one attack attack uh, mapped to the right trigger, and then a third move that was uh, mapped to hitting both of them at once. And when you're playing as Pummelweed, you would have to tap the left and right triggers in succession Mm. uh, as a way of kind of mirroring his punching left and right. And if you 
you know, if you kept that chain up, then it would turn into a, a powerful combo attack, which is what you ultimately wanted. But, you know, since you're doing this with two fingers on two separate hands, it's kind of hard to get the um, the timing just right. And I would find myself accidentally triggering both at once and seeing my pummel weed duck underground when I just wanted him to continue punching. And yeah, it got kind of annoying. I, I did not care for that at all. And it becomes even more annoying Um for instance, when you, you have enemies that are hiding under a spiky shell and the only way, mm. way you can do it is to activate panoids, you go below ground and then essentially hit the shell from below and punch it up. It, like there's there's a maybe a five second window between them spinning and stopping and you being able to do that. Yeah. And if you get that wrong, the the you know, the extra wait for the animation, you know, fifteen seconds of him doing the spin to to realign yourself to, to perform that move again. Um, purely because you feel like the controls aren't quite as precise as they need to be becomes quite a frustrating uh, area um so yeah i can i can definitely see that from what i can remember like all the elemental warriors they have a nice kind of satisfying physics to them especially ash he has like a nice um turning arc to him so he kind of does feel like a mm, yeah like a beast of sorts you know you kind of have to like mm. wrangle him around corners kind of reminds me strangely of how um, when i first played as nico in gta 4 like the fact that you couldn't just turn on a dime you had to sort of like <laughs> bend around you know what i mean yeah it's kind of like you know they kind of felt out more real but the the pummel weed situation where you hammering on the triggers and it can cause a bit of confusion kind of that that whole thing kind of crossed over for all of them for me for trying to get the slow motion meter up i never really got the slow motion meter up at all other than when i was pummel weed and I, f- I kind of found that feature i guess to be kind of redundant i never really relied on it i never thought i was in a bind so therefore i needed slow motion it just sort of happened by accident and if i was if i was wailing my you know my fists of fury as pummelweed i would get it but other, otherwise i never really found a decent way of getting it because the controls right. while it is quite satisfying with the triggers and it does make sense i just never found that they were it was never quick enough you know i never found i could in combat link elements together to make the combo meter fill up and therefore get slow motion so the slow motion stuff works exactly like that you need to get uh, um, combos going fast enough to fill, to fill a meter there, there is a few ways actually major ruins got a, a one where he, he does this kind of like tornado spin as a shell um and hits things multiple times the, the weird thing about that is once you go into s- the slow motion it's actually fairly easy to keep the uh, the combo up because everything's going so much more slower <laughs> yeah. that you can then do an entirety of a whole area in slow motion and make the area very very easy for yourself but it takes forever for things to die because obviously they're <laughs> still in their their time yeah. period so you can watch all the zero you know they're you know, they essentially they have you know hit numbers you know watch them go, go down to 100 down to zero and then you move on to the next one and it once again it, it it works because you're killing everything. At the same time, it kind of takes you out of the experience because you're not really doing anything other than hitting things in slow motion. Um, so it's it's a weird, odd balancing act. Uh, there's there's a whole another area of this game which is trying to get higher scores and A ranks, and it's a bunch of achievements um, linked to, to doing just that. In fact, and it, it seems if you know what you're doing, you can you know say the the achievement requirement is 15 million. Um, if you don't know what you're doing, you, you know you'll struggle to get a million. And if you do know what you're doing, you'll get 15 billion. It's it's one of those ones where you watch hmm. people do it, and you that you know they just they max that score out ridiculously high, and they go hmm. through the majority of the game in um, slow motion. Where if you're like me, you, you're struggling to get that going, and you're barely hmm. reaching a million points in total. So I'm not too sure there's there's a place somewhere that sits in between, other than just playing through the game for enjoyment. 
points. I just don't understand why this game has got a constant point meter at the top of the screen <laughs> telling you how well you're doing or not. It's like it's not an arcade game. Just get rid of it unless I'm doing a time attack mode. I don't I don't get why that's there. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if I could turn it off on the UI or not, but it was frustrating me that that number was often there but not really going up. It kind of made me feel, felt inferior, if you know what I mean. Like it always mm. kind of hovered around the same number. It was always there at the top to go, you're rubbish because you're not what? getting your combo up. <laughs> As per like, usual, oh. go to YouTube and, and then you'll feel so inferior. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm not up for that. But yeah, it's kind of like, it's an adventure game. It doesn't need this score attack element to it. And if it was going to, then have it as a side thing, you know. It doesn't even grade you on it in between battles or at the end of the game, right? Yeah, so there's there is a grades to get, but um, yeah, it, it has no effect on. Well, that's gameplay. true. Yeah, I guess there are grades, but they don't factor into. They're not, you're not rewarded for them in any way. It's it's really a, like how deep do you want to get into this game? But um, they they unlock cheats actually in the game. So oh yes, yes, yeah. So if you you get an A grade in, you know, it once again these instant boss areas. If you manage to get the A grade in there then it unlocks a, a certain cheat in the cheat menu which then you can actually use in game um, to make things easier to get the other right grades um, you know, having <laughs> someone into achievements you look into this stuff and, mm. and work out the, the best method so there, there is layers to it but the game doesn't present itself in a way where it feels like a score chasing game or even a there's a there's a time chasing element to a game as well once again you don't really feel like it's a game you want to particularly you know can i get through this area the fastest possible it's it it would have been better off spending a bit more time just you know like fleshing out characters etc rather than worrying about you know a ranks or you know how fast you've done stuff it kind of feels like they had this game finished and were like we need to add something on top of it to make it feel more mm. or just more so let's have a let's have a score system on there because okay? that wasn't there in the original xbox testing phase that that number wasn't there and you know the, the combo meter was there and all that kind of stuff was happening but you were never constantly getting um numbers thrown up on the screen i, I feel in some respects like we're, we're underselling some of the gameplay elements here because there, there's a bunch of i would call as average games where you'd you know can complete platform just 3d platformers you complete the platforms and you move to the boss i even going back to it now, I, there's some elements to it which I I like the fact that it's a little bit different. So mm. you know, even if it is the controls aren't as tight as they could possibly be, you know, having to disarm somebody, you know, by doing something with a character to lose their shield before making any kind of impact, or having to hit a character, you know, from below to to knock their shell off so you can then interact them. Or even some of my favourite ones, which is I think it's it's major ruin, isn't it? He's the one the ball type shape thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having characters which they, you know, themselves are say like hedgehog type characters that then, you know, have their spines up but then don't and you can use major ruin essentially to hit them which are balls in the arena um, and either knock them off the edge or knock them into mm. lava to kill them you know once again getting combo meters up essentially essentially but it there is an element there where i i quite like the fact that it it tried to do more with its elemental warriors than just okay well now you can use chiller to climb up a wall and that's the only reason he's there yeah yeah there, there, there is you know go below gates use different elements um, yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it it it, it is deeper than just you know navigate platforms, which I'd imagine it could have quite easily been if it wanted to. Yeah, I never got bored of some of the um, the environmental uh, traversal, especially where you have to flick between uh, you know fire major ruin across a gap, 
and then flick to Chiller to, to grab onto an icy service. And he does that really great bit where he sticks the... Uh, he's like these ice, these ice picks yeah. off his uh, back of his off his back, doesn't he? And then he sticks them into the wall, and they sort of drags down, you know, a couple of couple more centimeters, and then starts moving. I mean, it, it looked great, and it felt great, and you and you did always feel uh, that it gave it gave you a bit of a smile, and uh, you, you you felt positive about doing that sort of stuff, and and that was where the combination of characters came into their own. I think it was when you could, you could pull off those sorts of tricks and. Ryan, I think you mentioned uh, using flex to snatch the shield, and then quickly turning to uh, ash so you could uh, douse the trolls in fire and things. It's yeah, it, it it was great, and it and it felt great, and it felt different, and it it was just. I think if you look at it from a a base sort of sort of character level, of, you know what are these guys are here for, and do you feel anything from them? Then then no, but they they as a gameplay device, they they more or less worked. It's also not like Prince of Persia, you know, the latest Prince of Persia, where it's you know it's completely holding your hand. You can't fall off a ledge. You, if you mess up in one of those movements types, certainly in, in the you know, traversal of the areas, you will die, <laughs> and you just you will go back to a <laughs> checkpoint. If you if you get that that jump wrong and don't get Chiller out in time to, to grab the ledge, you will just fall to your death, and you will go back to the checkpoint, which it you know which you I think believe you activate in the world, don't you, in certain points. I did do one jump. Uh, where mid 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 air, <laughs> held down the trigger again to do the the, the sort of uh, suspended spin. Realised I didn't have chiller in my arsenal. I had to keep it hold down, push the back button to open the book, find the right character, map it to the. It was uh, that that felt cool to be able to do that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also goes back to the scoring system in the game as well. Um, I, I do think it's a little tacky to have the score meter constantly up on the screen but uh I, I do find the scoring mechanics to be pretty interesting like we said before as you started to rack up combos then it would increase a like a combo meter that windfall would uh, transform the scene into slow motion everything moving at a fraction of the speed except for your character which re- would remain at full speed and then you can just you know, rack on the combo kills and be at very little risk yourself. Except there were, uh, I don't remember what they were called, but they were like super quick trolls that the implication was uh, they were moving so fast that you couldn't even see them in regular time. And it wasn't until you got into slow motion that you could even engage with these trolls that looked like they were moving at your speed. And so even when you're in your safe space, you know, there are still threats, there are still trolls out to get you. And if you want to get the highest score, you got to, you know, go into slow-mo multiple times to take out these trolls as well and use them to add to your combo meter. And the way that that, that system worked was um, you had three multipliers. Uh, I, I believe it, they were triggered by creating larger and larger combos. You had the, uh, you know, brutal, frenzy, uh, whatever combo meters. And they were constant score multipliers. Uh, you'd get a like a times three on one, a times two on the next, and a times one on the one following that. And as you raked up more kills, those numbers would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, you know, people who have played the uh, Traveler's Tale Lego games know that like you can get those brick multipliers that you can compound mm-hmm. onto each other and then suddenly you're getting you're getting 790 times the number of bricks <laughs> you would get otherwise. It's the same kind of thing with cameos that you can get a 
uh, you know, 120 times 30 times 12, and you get these massive, massive scores. And that's the way that you do that, except every time you get hit by anything, it takes one number off of mm-hmm. all three of them. And those numbers can be, you know, a, a bit difficult to build back up again. And so it's a really careful, interesting game of of being aggressive and getting those combos as high as you can and killing guys in very quick succession without getting hit yourself. Because, you know, if you're too, uh, if you're too gung ho about things and that undoes all the progress that you've accomplished yourself and would put you right back to zero, zero, zero across the board. So an uh, interesting mechanic addition there. And, you know, I, I feel like, uh, like we talked about on the Viva Pinata show, that this is the type of game that is really like uh, three different games stacked on top of each other. And if you want to play this just like a Zelda game and take your time and just not worry about the score, it is entirely non-intrusive and you could not even know it's there. Uh, you know, you can go through the entire game and not care one little bit. But uh, if you wanted to be a score chaser and you wanted to be serious about the game, then it took some really some real training. And I remember I only got like, I think I only got one A rank throughout my entire cameo career. And that was on uh, Thorne's airship. And it they were so difficult, at least for me. I remember it was still very early in the Xbox lifespan. And so, you know, kind of everybody on Xbox Live had a small number of games. They would have, you know, this and, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong the movie on their achievement list. And I remember when I would play with anybody online and see that they had an A rank in a cameo level achievement, I would be like, this is a god. Like, <laughs> this person has proven themselves to me. Like, I am I am honored to play by this person's side because, you know, that it's not easy to do. Well, I think that was why the score was in there, wasn't it? Because didn't, didn't Microsoft have a yeah. rule early on that all games had to have leaderboard set up so th- to, to emphasize the social aspects, right? Or am I misremembering? It, no, 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 that is true. And it's weird, actually, if, uh, talking from an achievement stand point of, point of view, but the early days of achievements, etc. They they released a whole bunch of extra DLC stuff for this this game. Um, but every every achievement that they released afterwards is zero-point achievements. So, mm. yeah, there's there's like a base game of... you. Know, I mean, like 40 achievements and then like another 40 achievements on top of that all at zero point achievements because they didn't quite know what they were doing then but um this was before they were allowed to add gamer score was it uh was it shivering isles for oblivion that was the first game to add uh gamer score through downloadable so content i don't remember but the, the you know with the the um the DLC, the, you know, they've added a whole bunch of stuff to do with the time trial modes, um, a whole bunch of stuff to do, you know, A ranks in co-op, A ranks in time trial. They really went quite deep in in adding, you know, or, or building onto the the assisting infrastructure of Cameo um, mm. for DLC. So, that, you know, that's applauded to them. It's something I've I've tried to get into, you know, trying to chase those extra stuff. But like you said, they are actually relatively hard to do, and it, it, I haven't overly stuck with it i think i'm like 700 points in that game but you know i was playing with my my friend john and um yeah we just you know played through all six six levels of the in, in co-op and had a quick look at the leaderboards and it, it's based on per month and uh yeah we were mm. number one on the leaderboard for every <laughs> oh, single one kings. one of one of i assume one of one um, <laughs> it was uh yeah and we had the pitiful scores it'd be fair to say so you should have opened with that tony atkins number one on the cameo xbox 360 leaderboards yeah co-op 
um <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> specifically uh but it, it, yeah i'm i'm not surprised that, you know the game is what 10 10 years old isn't it yeah, yeah that's so, right almost i'm not surprised the leaderboards aren't full of people it, it was just one of those ones like oh wow we're first I gotta check that out <laughs> let's talk about the construction of the game as well um the game kind of had like three or four layers to it the dungeons uh kind of they were very zelda like dungeons um you know, you'd often progress through, you know, various puzzle solving and combat areas until you reach the final boss, take down the final boss, and you'd be rewarded with a new elemental warrior. Um, there were villages surrounding each of these dungeons, and that was kind of fun. It was uh, various fantasy creatures would live in these villages, and they'd all have funny little accents, and they'd all have interesting little designs, and uh, just be it, it kind of made the world seem a little bit bigger that we're actually interacting with different species it's not just fairies it's not just kind of humanoid looking but they're kind of a a caterpillar type people living in the mountains and there were kind of like flying monkey looking people Mm -hmm. living were they the ones in the enchanted kingdom oh regardless uh it added a little bit of, of flavor and color to the whole experience and then there was the battlefield which we'll talk more about in just a moment here. Um, that was the kind of in-between, uh, in-between the Enchanted Kingdom and the villages. And then there was the aforementioned Enchanted Kingdom itself, which is Cameo's homeworld, which is a floating island in the sky in which the fairy monarchy reigns. And it, it's all built around this, this gorgeous castle. And, you know, seeing this... As I went back to the game now, I was absolutely blown away. Like, I wasn't expecting to be so blown away. Um, It's absolutely beautiful. Like, graphically, it's been surpassed. But stylistically, it's still extraordinary to look at. Uh, There are long, swaying grass that bends in the wind and bends underneath Cameo, which is impressive, you know, as she's flying around with her little, like, dragonfly wings, which... You know, you don't even see that in modern games, grass that reacts to you. Uh, There are peacocks with beautiful plumage uh, walking around. There are bright colors and waterfalls, amazing architecture. There's rainbows. Dust in the air. You know, it's it's impressive. Yeah. That's the one thing you can expect from Rare. Even if, I'm not saying this game is mediocre, but even if the game is mediocre from a Rare game, you can expect the R&D team to pull out some Mm, amazing effects. And the Enchanted Kingdom was always that way designed it always had that you know that that general layout with maybe a few tweaks here and there but all the extra stuff that all the polish and all the oh, the, the delicious you know um, particle effects they they're mm. all new for the 360 version and when i went into the main room in the enchanted kingdom where it's just like god rays and particle effects and everyone's yeah. having a dance <laughs> in there i was just like this game just it can look yeah. absolutely amazing yeah, and then you can also see where the game doesn't look amazing, and it's kind of like they didn't lavish the same layer of coat across the whole game. There, there's yeah. your genesis of the title, isn't it? Because you know, once again, I'd say that the main areas where you you know you fight the bosses, etc., feel very much like they've just been you know tarted up from from the original Xbox version. Mm. Yet you you have, I'd say, the the more open world aspects, which feel very much like they were possible on the 360, um, weren't possible on the on the Xbox. So you know, they they feel very much like they they belong on that generation's current platform and. Yeah, you know, there's clearly a genesis of the game there where that's coming from. But even back in 2005 on launch, I remember playing Cameo and going, 
you know this is this is why I brought the you know this this platform because mm, yeah. you know, that original opening in, in that kingdom is like wow I've never seen particle effects well I didn't even know they were called particle effects back then it would just been wow look at the sunlight yeah. and all this stuff going on the screen and I, I'm finding this more more as we you know, move into you know this current generation of consoles um, how you know now things just are so much more sharper. Um, I, you wouldn't really when I was playing, you know, the original you know, 360 PS3 generation, never really noticed things being, you know, particularly blurry at all. It's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> nice HD graphics. There, there were yeah. you know, a, a big step up from SD, but you know, coming back now from Xbox One and PlayStation Four, you know, or even PC to an, an Xbox 360 game, you're like, this almost seems blurry in itself, which is I don't know why that is. And that was the same case, unfortunately, with Cameo. It's just everything seems to be a little bit, you know, blurry and not quite as sharp as I would imagine it to be. But you know, if if it was ported to a, a you know a, a newer generation console, you can imagine that first first area being just utterly breathtaking and phenomenal. Mm. It still is now, but you know, imagine that just being you know in 1080p, just just shining the way it does. I was impressed by the wildlife and the insects that you would find scattered throughout the Enchanted Kingdom as well. Mm. You know, there are butterflies that fly around and follow me when I run by. They can be interacted with. There are squirrels that run up trees and swans in the pond that, like, they interact with Cameo in the environment. Like, these aren't just little sprites that are going on their way. Mm. Like, this is, like... This is the kind of thing that Call of Duty Ghost was trying to get excited about just a couple of years ago. Like these are uh, everything felt so magical mm-hmm. uh, and the music is so beautiful. And, you know, the helicopter seeds you can throw into the air and just everything about that opening area is breathtaking. The thing I can't get my head around is how that I mean, I know it's a smaller area, so you can throw a bit more uh, lavish or lavish graphical effects on it. But when you then move away from the Enchanted Kingdom to the Badland, that, to me, feels the most dated part of the game. And I know there are these big sort of battlefield scenes, which I'm sure we'll get on to talk about, but everything else other than that, it it felt like a, a, a more polished version of mm. the, the the field area in Ocarina of Time. You know, it was, yeah. it was that sort of big and attractive but largely kind of empty well i I think you already highlighted i i think that what they were trying to show is look how many things you can have on screen at once look how many characters every generation seems to have it whether it be that or dead rising you know it seems to be the the latest one look how many zombies we can have on screen yeah Mm -hmm. dynasty warriors something like that and i think purely that was you need something to do between getting from you know the enchanted kingdom to the area that you're you're trying to get to uh, what is highlighted very much so is once you've got completed the game entirely, there is nothing to kill in the Badlands. So just riding across there on your horse, and it being very, very just empty, nothing there. It, you know, once again, it highlights exactly what you're talking about. That area is actually not a very pretty area at all. But from a, a I guess from a, a powerhouse point of view, they were trying to go look how many things we can fit on screen. It's interesting though the details stand out though. I think if you look at the enchant, like the Enchanted Kingdom. I, I had to keep telling myself that game was ten years old. When you look at mm-hmm. you look at it and you walk around in it, and okay, mm-hmm. I take your point, Tony, that some of the some of the details are a bit lost, and perhaps you know in the, in the current generation it would be easier to pick out certain aspects of the environment. But as a whole, it just it felt so it felt so deep. I guess is about the only word I can use to describe the the the, the level of um, 
other interaction that you had as a character in the world. I wonder if that, this is going to be a very large generalization, but you know, you get that feeling from many, many Nintendo games where a lot of the incidentals, you know, a lot of Mario stuff, a lot of that stuff happens within the world just because you know, there was somebody just assigned to make mm-hmm. that world feel a bit more alive. And I wonder if that's, if as you say, Darren, if that's carried on over from the GameCube, um, whether that was just something that was kind of in, ingrained into to Rare as a development studio in that one section. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the more kind of, well, let's see what we can do technically from Microsoft's point of view, kind of changed up from that like there's a little bit left of rare in there as well as the new rare that we know now the uh the badlands i do enjoy because it is to me it's quite new well it's very new and especially compared to the cloud city that was before but yeah it does feel very cut copy and paste you know like the textures are all just pretty much the same all the way across and the animations often play together at the same time so there's like five orcs doing the same arm animation you're like ah. Oh. <laughs> but i remember first seeing it thinking you know what like for in 2005 when you saw them on screen at one time it was easy to get distracted away from the copy and paste elements to that yeah. overworld uh, i think you know the, the area is really sparse i guess like there, there are a few huts here and there and you go in there and again it all looks very similar you know that's fair enough because houses are houses houses when they look similar inside but you have little challenge rooms in there that you can find and that there are fr- uh, the, the collectibles like the fruits that you use to you know level up your guys and money here and there, which is quite satisfying to go into someone's house and just rubble your uh, rocks all over the <laughs> all over the room and just let, and just wander out of all the money. You feel like a, a bit of a bit of a scamp that way. The Badlands were definitely like a tech demo of the Xbox 360's power, and that's why they showed off at the very beginning when they were introducing the Xbox 360 and just showing off like, look how many orcs we can have on screen at once. And look how satisfying it is to ride your horse through them and send them flying in every direction. It's very much like N3 or Dynasty Warriors in which you would be managing these giant battles that would be surrounding you. You'd be uh, kind of tasked with going to a specific location, but on your way there, an elemental shrine would come under attack and you'd have to get involved in this giant battle. And really, I mean you have to prioritize what you do as the most powerful character on the battlefield. Taking out individual orcs might not be a a, a very smart idea because they have an entire army of them. And so you'd have to prioritize your targets and defend, you know, cannons or whatever. And it was interesting because you had Mm. artillery being shelled onto the, onto the land from airships or ships on the water. And you'd have giant enemies, trolls that were just sweeping through crowds of, of your soldiers. And so there were multiple like layers of the battle going on at once, which I, I still think is pretty cool. But other than that, it's, it's a little sparse once you get out of the heat of the battle. Uh, but yeah, then you'd move into the villages, which kind of like uh, Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask, where you'd have a little bit of world building and a little bit of, uh, you know, getting to know the locals before tackling their specific dungeon. I thought it was kind of a nice transition, uh, a little bit of a calm before the storm, and it gave you a little bit of time to get familiar with your new elemental warriors and oh. do a little bit of puzzle solving before you're in the... Uh, you know, score chasing section or the the dungeon proper that was a little bit more demanding. See, I feel like I missed out on a lot of the the village and world building aspects because, Darren, you mentioned earlier that the game's constantly leading leading you by the hand, but for, mm. uh, it's it's weird that it's both it's leading you by the hand, but also not leading you to the things that might be more interesting. You know, there's always that flashing green marker mm. saying go here, 
Whereas if they'd have built things into sort of, you know, you'd have to go speak to this character first to get uh, a special item that will unlock this, that, and the other, then you, it doesn't ever force you to do that, and it doesn't ever force you to go searching for the elemental fruits which you use to level up your characters. Right. right? You have to, you, you pick up. I think I maybe picked up five of them at, in the opening uh, hours of the game, and then didn't see any more for ages. And I just thought, well, this is a bit odd maybe they all come a bit later and it was i went into the in the the menu and there was a hundred to collect in total i was like well where, where the hell are these and it was only through <laughs> sort of spending half hour sort of messing around in the en- enchanted kingdom and then in the forest before the, uh, the village before the water temple just chatting to people and there was sort of little mini quests that you could go on and little tasks that they had for you and all that stuff was fun and it was and it, and it would have expanded the life of the the game quite significantly but it just it's it, it feels strange that it never kind of wanted you to do that or expected you to do that and you could probably get through the game without leveling up I wonder and, if that's because the story doesn't pull you in from the off that you're not really interested in mm. talking to the people around in the village and that's you know yeah. I, I did talk to the guys in the village don't get me wrong but like I was never really engaged with the story so therefore Am I really bothered? I don't really have anything to say. They just, you know, I've, I've lost my ball, or you know, something's happened over there. It's the the I, I like the, the the characters themselves. I think they're really interestingly designed, like all rare games are. But there yeah. was there was very little to grab on. And okay, well, you've lost your ball. That's yeah. that's sad. Um, I, I guess the first couple of people you speak to just sort of say a few uh, throwaway comments, and then you just think, well, that's the level of interaction. I'm not going to bother. But then. It's only when you actually speak to everyone. Well, what was your completion playtime, roughly? Oh, mine was seven and a half hours, I think. Eight hours, maybe. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I can go by my what my what it says, and I I got all the achievements that you could reward collectibles in the game, and that said, just shy of fourteen hours. So, yeah, clearly there was double the amount of game there. Oh yeah. That, yeah. You know, just going around collecting things and exploring the environment, which you know, I. I remember being probably the, the primary enjoyment I had there, which was having to, to navigate the villages before actually uh, tackling the dungeons. I enjoyed some of the side quests. They had some interesting uh, little puzzle caves and things that you'd have to use your warriors in ways that you hadn't before. It was kind of interesting to think through uh, the move set that you've collected throughout the game in a different way. And also this being a rare game, uh, there are a few little nice easter eggs for the fans in there um there's one hut that has a radio that plays the uh like a hard rock version of the banjo kazooie theme which is later used in nuts and bolts but uh it was, it was kind of fun to open that up and i think there was even a a skin for thermite or something in there as well but yeah a lot of fun there's a in the snowtop village area there's two huts which are named after uh, friends of, of mine, I guess. Yeah, I, I used to hang around with these people before I entered the company. Uh, one of them's called Chom's Den. That's a guy called Michael Chomick. And there's also a character called Captain Robin, I think. There's a, there's a notice board saying, Captain Robin's lost his so-and-so. And that's uh, based on a, a man called Robin Fenson. So uh, that's mm. because I used to live with uh, you know, and befriended a guy, the guy who got me into the company and ended up being the writer for this game. So he's obviously put his own little touches here and there into the game and uh, yeah, replaying it. I was like, I just checked out this sign around me. It was like, Chom's Den. I was like, I can't believe it. Like, he's actually <laughs> immortalized his friends in a, you know, in some nice touchy ways. I mean, it's no Golden Gate, but it's still pretty cool. <laughs> Nothing to beat the Gargate. 
Uh, yeah, so there's a handful of dungeons that you would go through throughout the game. There was a forest temple in which you would fight a tree with an afro at the end. Uh, there was a water temple in which you'd fight a uh, kind of a squid-faced electric-y beast type thing, um, which uh, kind of reminded me of one of the Donkey Kong 64 bosses. Hmm. Uh, there was an ice temple where you'd be you'd fight a like an a big ice monster with a bunch of eyes that you would have to Hmm. uh you you got to throw icicles at the eyes and then they would pop all around the map and you'd use your uh 40 below to to fling them off in all different directions which is very satisfying uh you went back to thorn's castle towards the end and then Uh onto thorn's airship which is a, a giant metal airship that you'd have to kind of systematically destroy the engines of one by one and get to fight Thorn at the end of that one. I, I thought that the design of the dungeons was actually kind of interesting. There were a lot of uh, outdoor dungeons, which is something that mm. you didn't get to see a lot in Zelda games until like Skyward Sword, maybe. A lot of the dungeons had kind of like a narrative through line as well. Like you'd be following a battle as it happened or the boss from the end of the dungeon would present itself fairly early on and kind of be chasing you throughout the dungeon until you finally got to confront it, which is, you know, something you occasionally see in like a Dark Souls or something like that. But it it was, you know, not super uh, like in Zelda. Usually you don't see the boss until Mm -hmm. you fight it at the end of the dungeon. It's kind of a new. and, And so, you know, by the time you get to the end of the ice temple you you feel like that this uh, eyeball ice creature has already uh, made itself an enemy of yours and you can't wait to you know finally stick it to it it's been a you know pain in your backside for long enough i kind of like the fact that the temples weren't overly long it might sound like a backhand yeah, and yeah. a compliment but like they never felt like in zelda or other adventure games when you entered a temple you felt like you had to sort of put a certain amount of time aside to make your way through this but cameo's brevity in its in its dungeons was just like oh okay i've, I've done the dungeon and you, like it didn't feel like it was padding gameplay for the sake of padding gameplay like they could have easily made a dungeon like two hours long like the water temple in you know lake Hillier. but it was just like no the, when i saw the water temple appear on cameo's um you know you are i was like oh not not a water temple <laughs> like, ever since in 64 days have i hated that but you get in there and there's some nice fun puzzles to do with that, the um, swimming's not great <laughs> yeah that's true no, but I, I like the concept of using his t- tentacles as boosters underwater there's something quite satisfying about mm. using that not not as a gameplay thing, but I kind of like the idea of him, you know, doing those things. And I, I kind of like the fact you were just in and out. It was like, okay, I've done that. Let's let's get out of here. And then it carried on. It has a nice pace to it. Which I, I think appreciate. the longest one's probably about an hour long. It's it's nice. We, I, when I say play, play for all the temples on in co-op and, you know, it was, I think we did three a night. It was just, you know, just sit down, play a few temples and, and kind of be done with it. It's, it's, it's really weird. And actually in, in the co-op, the way they, they kind of preface it is that, um, they give you your characters and they kind of have all the powers as well so they don't explain it they, they assume that you've played the game before so yeah. coming back to it uh, you, know, uh, you know 10 years down the line it was like how does this character work and there's no explanation <laughs> whatsoever say how flex works and you're like how does he <laughs> so it was it was quite interesting having to, to relearn characters from scratch so much so that I went through all, all the uh, the temples um, kind of in- enjoyed it but felt like that wasn't the cameo that I remembered and right. then just went back and restarted the single player game and actually and then kind of understood kind of why I really liked cameo 
Um, you know, the temples themselves are, are fun enough, but maybe it's just ten years of, of gaming evolution happened uh, uh, you know, over them. Just they were like, ah, okay. And then I, I ah, yeah, I remember now that you got these, you know, these earlier worlds, and they look fantastic. And actually, the you know, the the chasing of um, you know collectibles, etc., are actually really interesting in those worlds. The game was supported by several downloadable content packs after its launch. Um, some of them, you know, quite a ways after by modern DLC standards. Uh, kind of first and foremost, there were a few skin packs, uh, which are various costumes for both Cameo and for the Elemental Warriors, which were a lot of fun. There was a Winter Warriors pack, which was uh, Christmas themed, um, which put Cameo in like a Santa Claus getup. And in all of these skin packs, the level of detail that they put into the various costumes for the Elemental Warriors was amazing like they they really worked their butts off to you know put as much love into these as they could and these are complete transformations of the characters and there's a uh, there's a youtube video of you know just all of these costumes being shown off and they look incredible and i love playing as them but yeah it, just going back to the christmas costumes there was the fright warrior pack which was halloween costumes the masquerade pack which had maybe like 12 or 18 costumes for cameo herself including a few rare throwbacks like uh, uh there was a costume where she was dressed as maya from killer instinct <laughs> and dressed as joanna from perfect dark zero mm-hmm. and then there was the uh, the final one was a design a skin pack which was a contest that was held on rare's website in which they invited fan art uh and um and then they would take the very best of those and make them into full-fledged costumes for the game, which is super cool. Uh, they had a, like a griffin skin for Ash. They had a, of a robotic skin for Flex. And um, my favorite of them was they dressed Pummelweed up like Mumbo Jumbo <laughs> from the Banjo-Kazooie games. That's brilliant. Which, yeah, which looks great and uh, was a ton of fun. So... I really enjoyed that as a huge Rare fan. Uh, did you guys play around with the alternate skins at all? I know you could also unlock skins just in normal gameplay, but how about just like the downloadable ones? Yeah, I'm fond of the Ash looking like a pile of bones. And mm. obviously the Mumbo Jumbo one is just genius. I've never even seen it before. And, you know, you spoke to me earlier just before this recording and said there was a Mumbo Jumbo skin for Pummelweed. And I was like, oh man, oh, I'd love to play with that. It just looks brilliant. I like the Halloween pummelweed because it it's like a skeleton pummelweed, and then it has little Grim Reaper sickles for hands. <laughs> kind of a fun. It's wearing like a big dark coat, like Dracula would wear. Uh, very creative, and definitely for anybody who's going back to cameo now, I would recommend. Even if these do cost money, like they are, uh, they're worth it in my opinion. I I love these skins, and I will uh, I will play them as much as I can when I go back to the game. Uh, there were a few more DLC packs. There was a free pack uh, that uh, bundled in cooperative play over Xbox Live and System Link, which sounds like at least Tony uh, made some use of. Works perfectly well. Yeah, there's no lag or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked. Cool. And um, there was also a power pack, which I, I believe was paid DLC. 69p. I brought it for this playthrough. Um, it's got a whole mm. bunch of achievements tied to it, even if they are zero points. Right. It has an expert mode, which is uh, there are mirrored levels of mm. uh, mirrored versions of the levels with tougher enemy post placement. So it's kind of like cameo scholar of the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, there are rune battles, which are, I, I assume, kind of like the coin battles in Smash Bros. Players uh, kind of beat runes out of... You know, same ones going running through the levels and you fight things mm-hmm. and they drop coins. Okay, so it's incentive to be a little bit more aggressive then and, and kind of add a competitive flair to it. Time attack as well, which mm-hmm. is uh, kind of something I'm surprised wasn't in there from the very beginning. Seems like a staple for this type of game. But it's it's adding more to that uh, score chaser or competitive type of game, which, uh, you know, this game may or may not work well as. We'll get to that in our uh, descriptions. I also like to draw some attention to the music in the game. Uh, the original soundtrack was composed by Steve Burke and performed by the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, Steve Burke studied music at King's College London, got his master's at Royal College of Music, Uh, He had done additional music for Star Fox Adventures, but Cameo was his first game where he was really at the helm and taking control of the entire operation. Uh, He later did some composition. I don't believe he was the lead composer for uh, Viva Pinata, Trouble in Paradise, and Party Animals. Oh, I could be wrong about that. I seem to remember either Kirkhope or Beanland having their name on it, uh, other in-house rare composers. Uh, He did the music for Jetpack Refueled, which is an Xbox Live uh, arcade game based on the old-school Jetpack game that Rare had developed early, early on. Uh, He later did a a non-Rare composition for Sky Smash 1918, which I know nothing about, and did some sound effects and voice work for Conquer Life and Reloaded, Perfect Dark Zero, Banjo-Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts. So, um, oh, and, and then he later created all the sound effects and music for the xbox live avatars program so whenever you hear you know whatever kind of boot up noises those have uh, that is the composer of cameo elements of power (laughs) and i will say that um this soundtrack is unbelievable like it is absolutely incredible uh in my opinion anyways it's one of the quintessential fantasy soundtracks out there. I, I bought the soundtrack on disc originally because I was so impressed by the offerings that they uh, they had put up on their websites back when they were promoting the soundtracks as on-disc purchases. I, I bought this one and Perfect Dark Zero and um, Conquer Life and Reloaded uh, on-disc soundtracks. And I, I still go back to it quite frequently because the music is absolutely stunning. And I find the relaxed stuff to be really soothing and really just nice to listen to, but also the uh, more up-tempo, like battle themes and themes of the villages and you know this and that are uh, just a ton of fun and very competently composed and um, really invigorating. And I have nothing but good things to say about this soundtrack, and I think it's definitely worth hunting down for people who are into that kind of fantasy music. There will be, you know, songs interspersed throughout the episode today. And so, you know, you've already heard a little bit of it. But, um, you know, I I think the entire thing is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's it's typical rare noises, in my opinion. And I I approve big time of the soundtrack. It was there in the original Xbox form, so it was kind of like it was always meant to sound like that, which is good. yeah, and it is really well produced, and like, I reckon you could listen to some of those more wintery sounds over at Christmas, and you know, feel totally, you know, in, in tune with the theme. That they, they they pretty much nail the aesthetic they're going for. 
you know, uh, in terms of level design, it's like, all right, this is the wintry level, and then they play a winter track over it, and it is just, it's just <laughs> yeah. perfect. Like, yeah. you know, kind of like Freeze Easy Peak, and that tune that goes over that, your brain immediately <laughs> just starts playing it in your head, and it's the one thing in the game that is consistently great, you know, from start to finish. It is. Once again, it feels very much Nintendo-esque. That's where the, the you know, that, that mm. hand lays. It feels very much like, you know, Mario tracks. It suits the environments that you're in. Um, and I always think that the sign of a good game is when you can come back 10 years later and from the moment that the, the disc starts spinning and the first tune pops out, you're like, oh yes, yep, I remember this, clear as day. And you start humming it in your head that you don't need any prompting of, I need to listen to this for a second. You're like, yep, this is the track I remember 10 years ago. So yeah, it, you know, it's, it stood the test of time. If 10 years is the test of time, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but you know, with recent developments of uh, rare developers or ex-rare developers making their own stuff, and then they announced that Grant Kirkhope's doing a soundtrack, or then David Wise, and he said Dennis Wise, David Wise is doing a soundtrack. Um, yeah, you can you can understand why people get excited about them doing new work. You know, even for Kingdoms of Amalur, like people love that soundtrack, and it may may not love the game, but Grant Kirkhope gets a lot of love for his stuff and you know all the other composers at Rare or no longer there but you know that they get their due um, you know with um, you know uh, justifiably they, they put their work in and create some incredible noises which is funny because Steve Burke isn't one of those big names uh, you know this was his highest profile game that he composed for and um, uh, apart from being the first fully orchestrated or nearly fully orchestrated Rare game the previous games being like N64 without its dedicated sound chip. A lot of the GameCube and even the Xbox stuff that they had done, like Conquer, uh, was using a lot of the same kind of like MIDI technology as, mm. I believe, as the N64 just like really spruced up and sounds a lot better. But uh, yeah, to hear this composition come through with a full orchestra and choir, just uh, and it, it, it elevates this to a level that you know, it might not be as, uh, you know, stuck in your head tunes that will, you know, you'll be humming until the end of time, like a lot of Kirkhope stuff. But I, I think it's just, uh, you know, incredible, incredible work. Very good, Steve Burke, if you're listening. <laughs> and we should probably touch on, uh, there was a planned sequel for uh, Cameo for the Xbox 360. Uh, all that we know about it is... Um, just that it was a sequel to Cameo Elements of Power. It, there are a few renders of the Cameo character that have come out since its cancellation. I believe that they were leaked from people from within Rare. It doesn't look like it made it very far, but there's a few like climbing animations and this and that. But from what we can tell, Cameo looked to be more uh, less stylized and more like a real woman, a quite sexy woman at that. Uh, you know, it's probably playing into the Xbox 360's aesthetic that it was trying to. Um, trying to maintain um, sometimes wearing a hood kind of like a little red riding hood type deal and sometimes without it um, but yeah very different graphically if we can make a judgment from that you know one character model that was released but yeah very little is known about this it seems to be canceled pretty early on everything that we know about it is at a uh, unseen64.net and so if you're interested in learning more about the potential cameo 2 that's a fine place to look don't expect a lot of information. It's it's really weird actually because I, I think you know a, a modern I say a modern game is on the 360. It seems so so weird to say that, but it is 10 years old. But yeah, a, a game which 
uses the foundations of what this has. You know, you're switching between characters. I, I, you know, sure that has happened plenty of times since the release of Cameo, but I think aesthetically there there is room to bring it into a, a new generation of technology and utilize sure. its ideas. And also, you know, using Cameo, the, the stuff that essentially isn't in Cameo, which is, you know, making her, I think she's an interesting character and could easily mm-hmm. be turned into a strong female lead. Um, you know, how many fairies can you think of in gaming? You know, there's, there's not too many. <laughs> so I, I think there's elements in there. I could even see her being, yeah, turned into a, a more, you know, natural uh, character that isn't cell shaded, um, and the whole world, for instance, being being turned into that. I unfortunately, I don't think the IP sold well enough. I don't think enough people are attached to it um, to really put the investment in there for 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 necessarily be linked to this. Um, you know, today's gaming to turn it into a triple A title would be incredibly expensive. So yeah, yeah, you know, whether it has legs. As a franchise, I don't think Microsoft would imagine that the millions to be spent to turn it into that would be worth it. But I could, I could certainly see how this could have a sequel and maybe improve on all the the areas which is it made, but also turn it into something you know stronger from that. Every time that they that there's rumors about a new Viva Pinata project or something coming out, uh, it's always met with you know fairly reasonable. Um, response and you know I, I think that there are legs to the Viva Pinata franchise I think it can do some more stuff if they kind of rethink the formula and you know retool it towards a more modern demographic but um, I, I don't think that Cameo has that same level of affection which is too bad because I think it has a really solid core and it could create something uh, really spectacular in the future if they were to invest a little bit more time and energy into it but I feel like it was just kind of a product of the um, of the time at which it came out. Mm. Um, it, it was a real eye popper before the launch of the Xbox 360. But as we said before, there might have been mitigating circumstances surrounding whether or not people were able to put Xboxes into their homes uh, in that first initial launch window. It was very difficult to get a hold of one for a while. And, uh, you know, maybe by the time that the Xboxes were widely owned, uh, Cameo wasn't as desirable a title any longer and people had moved on to other things. And so, you know, maybe it would have been better received if it was released later in the generation or, you know, it could be a hundred things that are, it's keeping Cameo from being one of those real flagship rare IPs. But, um, you know, if they decide to go back to it, I think the character designs are great. Um, I, I think they're comparable or better than a lot of the Skylanders even. Uh, and I, I just think that there's there are places that the franchise could go if they ever decide to go in that direction again, which I would uh, very, very heavily doubt. But, you know, it's out there. All right, and now some contributions from our community over at canonrince.com slash forum, or we also had somebody email us this week, which is always something that we appreciate. Uh, if you're not a member of our forum, feel free to give us an email about any of the upcoming games and we'll uh, you know, include content from that into the show at podcast at canonrince.com. All right, the first, uh, first words from the community comes from Flabio, who's a, uh, a former developer over at Lionhead himself. So he has a little bit of insight as to how, uh, how British games work. <laughs> I remember being quite impressed by the large battle stages. The one thing in there that they couldn't have been able to do on the original GameCube version of the game. 
They did have that feeling of being tacked on as a result of that, but along with Dead Rising, it was a demonstration of some of what next-gen might actually come to mean. Sinclair Gregstrom says, Purchased on launch day along with Project Open Racing 3 and a shiny new Xbox 360. Cameo was a game I've been ogling over in magazines for months in the run-up to release. One shot I specifically remember showed what the game looked like on Microsoft's first console split with the same shot of the game running on 360, highlighting the massive graphical leap the power of the next generation hardware afforded. The textures, the lighting effects, the foliage, it looked wonderful. So with the essential new generation WoW box ticked, how was the rest of it? Pretty good I thought. It felt well engineered with solid controls and some nicely designed levels and set pieces. The elementals were fun to control and their different skills and attributes meant the game felt fresh and engaging throughout its length. While it was always pretty obvious which warrior you needed to transform into to take care of the task in front of you, the game certainly wasn't a cakewalk and offered a decent challenge for me at least. In brackets, I was oft intoxicated student at the time. Uh, With all those positive notes, I never fell in love with the game. Was it that you never spent enough time as one particular character to really engage with them? I think that's part of it. Plus, while the overall look and feel of the game was bright and fun, it also felt quite generic, and the world of Cameo wasn't one that I missed running around after the game was done. I would have played a sequel if it ever made out of pre-production for sure, but it's not a title I long for, like so many other cancelled follow-ups. For me, Cameo is a textbook launch title, really. Looks great, fun for a while, and it set a useful benchmark for others to surpass before it was quickly forgotten. Okay, Ben Munro writes, Cameo is a game that to this day I hold some extremely positive memories of playing. I was 13 years old when the Xbox 360 was released in 2005, and so the only chance of me getting hold of the system was to beg both my parents and Father Christmas to bring me one on Christmas Day. Unfortunately, as you may remember, the popularity of the Xbox 360 just before Christmas meant the system was extremely hard to get, and despite my parents' best efforts, I was left with an IOU on Christmas Day. To lessen my disappointment, my folks were kind enough to put three Xbox 360 games in my stocking, and one of those was Cameo. It was almost two months before my local high street games retailer got more Xbox 360s in stock. It was two months of staring at the Cameo box art and reading the manual cover to cover. (laughs) When at last my Xbox finally arrived, Cameo was of course the first game I played. I must have played that game for nearly a week solid. It was incredible. The game wasn't without its flaws, the camera could be rather awkward, and it was shorter than I would have liked, but the 13-year-old me was easily immersed into the fantasy trappings of Cameo's world, discovering new character powers and alternate skins made for perfect playground chat with my mates. Cameo is one of those games that has solidified itself eternally into my gaming history, and despite having not played it for nearly 10 years, I can still remember the names of my favourite characters, Ash the Dragon, Chilla the Yeti, and 40 Below the Ice Snowman thing. From Catatonic Nali, it says, My memory of Cameo is really fuzzy because until a few days ago, I hadn't played it since early 2007. I don't remember any specifics, but I certainly had a very positive attitude towards the game. I remember the world looking lush and beautiful and thinking the gameplay was fun and varied enough, having so many different elemental warriors, mostly with quite different powers to switch between. Sadly, those memories were somewhat sullied upon returning to Cameo this week, and I'm not entirely sure how much of that is the failing on the part of the game, or the fact that I approached it in the wrong way. Tony and I played this together in online co-op, going through each of the six levels in succession. I get the impression that the co-op players are expected to already be familiar with the game, especially since, I believe, apologies if this is incorrect, online co-op wasn't patched into the game until the 5th of April 2006 some four and a half months after release. 
Unfortunately, playing through the game this way, neither of us having played in the best part of, of a decade, it is a very stripped down experience. You aren't given any story or lore, there's no hub world, no indication that things are unlocking between levels, and absolutely no explanation of how any of the elemental warriors function. This wasn't so much of an issue when we were just beating up hordes of trolls, but whenever an enemy came along who had to be defeated with a specific elemental warrior's power or a combination of powers, it became a frustrating affair, cycling through each of the different warriors and trying each of their powers until something worked. The frustration is even further compounded by the fact that the warriors often don't work as they're supposed to, and the game often won't let you get around the very specific way you're supposed to defeat the enemy in question. I would like to go back to the single player, because I'm sure that it will address a lot of the issues, and it would be nice to walk away from the game without this somewhat sour taste that the co-op mode has left in my mouth. Sadly though, I suspect, like a lot of older games that I enjoyed at the time but I haven't played since, the memories will always be more favorable than the reality. Fair enough, we find that's often the case with things we go back to after a few years. Part of the reason why we do this very show, in fact. But um, yeah, I touched on it earlier, it's... I'm not sure whether that's the game's failing or just, you know, coming to it in a, in a really odd way. I, you can't really judge essentially the game, which has this massive single player elements built around it. And then, mm. you know, go into the co-op release a lot longer and, and not have all those things. But what I will say, having played it that way, it is a really weirdly uh, put together co-op um, campaign, <laughs> which as, as um, you know, Katsunolik Lali's just said, it, it completely strips out all story, um, and well, story <laughs> as well as well as controls and you know anything leading up to to functions that you may do in the game. So, um, just a bad, I think, a badly put together co-op piece rather mm. than uh, you know a badly put together game. Mm. We have some three-word reviews over at our Twitter account that is at Rince. The first one, which I find particularly interesting, comes from Dan, aka Kazimod, who that says last gen's knack. Which is a, a point I was meaning to bring up, actually, that I, I think Cameo was important in the launch of the Xbox 360 because it kind of put a, a new face on the new generation. Whereas, you know, this generation felt like it was kind of, it was a lot more of the same. We get a slightly prettier Call of Duty. We get a slightly prettier Halo. We get a lot of the stuff we'd already experienced before, just with a little bit more polish on it. And this game or this generation that we've just crossed over into might have benefited from a cameo, even though it wasn't something that a lot of people connected with necessarily. It was something new and it was something that felt like, oh, yeah, this is a very tangible sense of what this new console can do. You know, seeing all those orcs up on screen at once may not appeal to a gamer who's not interested in fantasy, but it's a uh, it's an interesting shorthand to tell people like this is our mission statement and this is what the Xbox 360 is capable of which I think is what Sony was trying for with Knack and so you know maybe you know I know Knack was very uh kind of poorly received by critics and fans alike but you know maybe I don't like to make those comparisons in quality or in its reception but as far as the identity and as far as its place in issuing in a new generation then yeah, absolutely. I think it's an interesting uh, comparison point to to stack this one up against Knack. Brad Davies, uh, launch day disappointment. Catatonic Gnarly says, memories were better. <laughs> As we've heard. Alan Smith says, 
Elemental shape-shifting fun. And DK, ruined 360 launch? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I, think that was, uh, I think that was Microsoft under-delivering the consoles and the consoles catching on fire, but um, not literally. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there were other factors that <laughs> played more negatively into the launch of the console, but it's, uh, it's an interesting hypothesis that we can maybe follow up on. All right, now let's uh, let's just go through our summaries. That is what's left. Um, you know, talk about our overall thoughts of the game and whether or not we'd recommend people to go all the way back to 2005 and dust off their copies of Cameo Elements of Power that they may or may not still have buried in their uh, piles of discs somewhere. And anyway, let's start off with uh, with Brian. Okay, well, I, I am quite mixed on this game because I I don't know to boil it down to the question of would you recommend it. I, I'm not sure. There were as much. There were as many things about the game that I enjoyed as things that had me feeling like they were a missed opportunity or that, that were frustrating. There's clearly, in certain aspects, been a lot of love and attention lavished on the, the world and it's fun to, to run around with and it, it is amazing that it is 10 years old and it still looks as good as it does. But in other areas, I mentioned the Badlands earlier on, just feel empty by comparison. They've been stitched into the game for the purpose of it demonstrating the power of the hardware i mean it serves mainly just to for you to run from one place to the other and it when you're actually playing the game when you're actually in a village exploring trying to find one of the elemental warriors unlocking that elemental warrior unlocking another path and exploring a temple there there, there's there are moments in the game that are fun that are awesome the slow motion combat is a is a highlight when you first experience it by the end of the game it can be a bit tiresome but <laughs> but the, the game has a lot of repetitive elements to it which i think is um, is is probably another of its failings there's in, there's enough of the old rare game magic there that it's it's worth experiencing and it isn't it isn't a long game by any stretch i know tony you said you did it in 14 and my playthrough was only 7 hours yeah, I'm 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 on the fence on this one about whether it's worth playing. I mean, it's not going to break the bank if you if you want to experience it if you haven't played it already. But I don't think it's there. There are better rare games to go back to and to experience and to rekindle some of the emotion you first felt in the N64 days. Uh, it's probably worth skipping Cameo if you want to remember those highlights. All right, what about you, Tony? I think generally it's a game of better ideas and execution um i i like the shape-shifting idea but i also think they they fail at making the characters that you're shape-shifting into you know things that you essentially you know connect with uh, or just you know <laughs> just really yeah just enjoy playing I, I felt very much like they were just there to get me through sections that needed their powers um and cameo herself she's a really you know, beautifully designed character yet this we we didn't even talk about the story one little bit and that probably tells you how strongly i connected with her as a character as well and not every game has to have that but you know the story is is overlaid across the top of it yet it's pretty forgettable and coming to this game 10 years down the line after playing it back in 2005 and remembering really enjoying it uh, it it doesn't quite stack up as as those memories um, had back then. So I certainly think if you know, we talked heavily about its its genesis as a as a game across different 
platforms and different houses, I guess. And I, and I think that, that shows certainly with the M product. Um, and some of it's fascinating to see that. If it was at times like a a really lovely created Nintendo product at the same time, it, it feels like it's a, a showpiece for the new generation of, of, of console that Microsoft are issuing with the, the, the 360. And that stuff now feels quite... Um, tacky in some <laughs> in some way because we're 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 beyond that generation now and so maybe it sticks out more than it would have done back in in 2005 when we we should have been impressed by it um overall i think it's a really mixed product um that i would find hard to recommend people really if you've got you know to like as brian said you know there's there's a whole ton of rare games which i i would put in front of cameo that's not to say that it wasn't enjoyable to play in 2005 or even to play in 2015 it's i enjoyed going back to it i enjoyed the the environments um the look of the game still looks you know stunning in places so if you if you've got a spare probably five six hours just to to experience i would almost say the hub worlds then then go ahead but it's not on the essential purchase list for me anyway yeah, I, I'd agree with that overall sentiment. I think that there is enough in the game that I'm glad that I went back to go and see for a second time. Uh, I was absolutely in love with this game when I first played it, and I still think it is a really, really good game and a really solid example of 2005. I, like I've mentioned before, there are some real highlights which are, even today, unmatched. I think that the design and the world building in the Enchanted Kingdom must be experienced um you know just give a little walk around the central hub area i I think that's a a totally worthwhile thing if you have the game lying around somewhere uh pop it in experience that just soak in all those details i think the music is beyond fabulous and definitely worth tracking down even more so i think that the music even though it does work well on its own, is of course, as all video game music is, reinforced by a lot of the visuals of the game. And so I almost want to recommend the game as a way of curating the amazing soundtrack or presenting you with some really interesting and really high-fidelity visuals, which, you know, there's elements that I want everyone to see. There are elements of power that I want everyone to see. But the game overall yeah is not essential and the gameplay works and is very fun in moments but it's also fairly frustrating in other moments and there are times when it feels by modern standards certainly a little cheaply made or a little poorly put together uh you know the it's a legacy as a game that was frankenstein together from multiple iterations with entirely different design philosophies is present and the game has some, it, it has aged, uh, you know, quite noticeably. But there are a few elements in there that I think are still very special by today's standards and are definitely worth experiencing. And so, you know, if you're absolutely itching for something to play, I'd say give it a go. Otherwise, uh, you know, download that soundtrack for sure. It's worth the price of admission on its own. And how about you, Darren? In my opinions of Cameo, uh, probably coloured by the fact that I was once, you know, employed to play the game quite a lot. So, uh, can I recommend it as an experience? Uh, it, my opinions are probably as confused as the game's design was from the GameCube era. You know, I think the 
the lack of a solid core design throughout the whole game reflects my lack of opinion and my rambling right now. So Cameo is a mixed bag of you know good, mediocre, and uh, and bad design elements. And I can't really recommend that anyone sits down and plays it if they're looking for an adventure game. There's so many better adventure games out there worth playing. And, you know, in this case, time is probably more valuable than money because it is a cheap game. It reminds me a lot of Star Fox Adventures in the fact that it was a game that was something that got transformed into something else and therefore kind of lost its way a little bit during, you know, the transition in Dinosaur Planet's case, N64 to GameCube. Here we have a GameCube game that was Xbox and now 360. It kind of feels like that happened again in Rare Studios. Um, But again, if you're a Rare fan... I think you do have to play it because it has it has good moments of you know actual good game design. Um, and as a rare fan myself, still I still feel like I need to see these games through to finish just because I'm a fan of their software of their games. Even you know what I mean? It's kind of like the the, the rubbish Prodigy album. You still have to listen to it <laughs> because you need to, you need to hear the you need to hear the adventure. You need to see the adventure of that business and how they how they learn from it and you know come out the other side it's um i liken it to your favorite band's rubbish album you listen to it anyway because it's your favorite band and it's probably got one or two tracks on that actually really stellar yeah yeah that's it you know it's (laughs) okay it's rares always outnumbered never outgunned (laughs) all right well um yeah so maybe a little bit more mixed than we are on uh you know typically on kindred but i think that it does reflect also the mm. um, the reaction that a lot of people have had since its launch and um yeah so uh that is cameo elements of power next time join us in issue 174 and we're coming out of retirement to bring you max Payne 3 until next time i am ryan Heyman, and i would like to thank tony darren and brian for joining me 